0: Last week in our second look at God's hall of faith in Hebrews 11, we looked at the patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we also looked at Joseph. We spent most of our time looking at Abraham because his story is so powerful. But in our look at Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, we saw the radical differences in the faith that they had during their lifetimes. God, it seems, sees acts of faith in a way that we, as mere men, cannot begin to comprehend. The fact that God saw Isaac's blessing of his sons, Jacob and Esau, as an act of faith, and the fact that he found any faith at all in the life of Jacob, might be surprising to us. Not only that, in in Joseph's life, which seemed like a life of faith from one event to the next, as he went through tremendous difficulty, of all of those acts of faith of Joseph, God chose to record Joseph mentioning the departure of the children of Israel and asking them to take his bones with them when he left. That is the the account that God chose to record in Hebrews. Hebrews. And I think that it reminds us that great acts of faith are often simple acts of obedience and hope. Great acts of faith are often simple acts of obedience and hope. And one of the things that we also mentioned in that passage was that what we are not reading here is accounts of great men who had ordinary faith. We are reading accounts of ordinary men that had great faith, ordinary people like you and like me that trusted God through whatever trials came their way, whatever difficulties that they were faced with. They trusted in their God. So we're going to look at the third part in our series of Hebrews 11, and we're going to read Verses 23 through 30. So if you'll turn with me, (coughs) could you grab me a glass of water? If you'll turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, we'll begin in verse 23. (coughs) By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood Lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our request is simple we ask that you would give us correct understanding of your truth this morning, and that this truth would dig itself deep into our hearts and form the character that you wish for it to form in us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) The first (coughs) many verses We are looking at faith in the life of Moses. It's interesting, um, the writer writer to the Hebrews spends more time talking about Moses than any other individual character in this chapter, which is interesting, I think. And in the first verse that we read there, it's not Moses' faith, it's actually the faith of Moses' parents that he is... Commending or bringing to our attention. Moses' parents showed faith to save Moses' life despite the danger. They were in direct contradiction to the command of Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, take all the male children and I want them thrown into the Nile. And Moses' parents said, God's command is higher than Pharaoh's command. This we will not do. I don't think that Moses' parents were alone. I don't think that Moses was the only child that was saved at this time. But it's the only one that's recorded. It's the only one that we're going to uh, spend any time thinking about. Moses' parents said no to Pharaoh because the God of Israel loves children. Even Emma. Emma. The text tells us <clears throat> that they hid Moses for three months, and it says, because he was a beautiful child, jokingly, I emphasize jokingly, mothers, I've wondered sometimes what they would do if you'd had been an, an ugly child. <laughs> and I thought of that joke, and I thought, well, should I even say it? it's probably not appropriate? But then I got to thinking about it. Yeah. oh Uh-oh. That's something I try to do every now and again. Every child is beautiful in the eyes of the parents. Every child is beautiful in the eyes of their parents. And so they looked at this, their child, and said, this is a beautiful child, and it didn't matter what he looked like. To them, he was absolutely beautiful. So there's a truth to be discovered in that little bit of a joke. Anyway, it didn't matter what he looked like. To mom and dad, Moses was a beautiful child. And those of you that are parents and have had children, and that child was born, and they might even have had dad's nose and mother's chin, but they were still beautiful to you. The fact that the Bible describes Moses as beautiful, I don't think is a quality exclusively of Moses, but I think it's a quality of his parents' love. It goes on to say, Moses, when he came of age, interesting phrase, Moses, when he came of age, chose to identify with the people of God. There came a time in Moses' life that he was old enough to understand that he had to make a choice. When we reflect, and I thought about this a lot this week, on the infancy and the child-rearing of Moses, I don't think that it's at all a stretch to say that Moses knew he was adopted. God saw to it that at least until the time Moses was weaned, he was in the care of his own mother. Remember the story? God not only took care of this family so that Moses' mother was the one who was rearing him as an infant and and taking care of him. He went the extra step and made sure that she was getting paid for doing it. It's like God saying, you want an answer to prayer? I guarantee when those parents took that little baby and put him in that basket and set him on the Nile River, what animal do we all know lives on the Nile River? Yeah. Animals that would chomp that down. I bet you their prayers were deep and heartfelt. God protect this child. And God said, you want an answer to prayer? You watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure you, mother, get paid for taking care of your child, not out there in the field making bricks. God did above and beyond, I'm sure, what they ever could have imagined by taking care of this family. Perhaps his adopted mother even told him how he was discovered floating down the Nile River. I would think it's likely. After all, his name testified to his discovery. Look at Exodus chapter 2, particularly verse 10, but we'll read the whole passage. Exodus chapter 2, and we'll read 1 through 10, but pay special attention to the final verse, verse 10. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. His very name proclaimed that he didn't belong. We also learn later on, just as an aside, that Moses and Aaron knew each other as brothers, even though they grew up in vastly different homes. We'll read a little bit of that um, later if we get a chance to. Moses was a prince of Egypt. He had the best clothes. He had the best food. He had the best education. He had the best house. He had a life of privilege and wealth and comfort. there was a chance that he may even be Pharaoh one day. This fact, after all, would explain the tension between himself and the sitting Pharaoh. Remember, they they battled it out. They did not they did not uh, take it easy on one another. There was doing some historical reading, there was uh, some tension between the folks that were born Egyptian and other wandering folks like the Hebrews that were there, they were trying to cleanse the, um, the office of Pharaoh from outside blood. So it may have been that Moses wouldn't have been Pharaoh, but there was a chance that he would have been Pharaoh as well. <clears throat> but from his high hill, he saw the Hebrew people, his people, suffering unspeakably under a life of slavery and torment. I don't know how long Moses wrestled with his conscience. The Bible says that he may have been around the age of 40 when he finally couldn't handle it anymore. He made a choice. It was decisive, but unfortunately violent, to identify with the people of God. said this word several times now, identify. We want to talk about identity a little bit here for the next few moments. Moses felt like an Egyptian. The truth of the matter was he was a Hebrew regardless of how he felt. His identity was Hebrew. As believers we must not only understand who we are but who we are not and this choice has consequences this choice of moses had consequences let's look at the next 5 verses in hebrews or sorry in exodus chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 now it came to pass in those days When Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Thinking of this whole concept of identity, we hear this word a lot in today's culture, and I think um, I want to be... I want to be careful how I go about speaking this next little bit, I want it to be appropriate. We have people in society today that feel a certain way about their identity. Even if that feeling goes against the reality of their biology, they feel a certain way And they choose to identify with how they feel rather than what is the truth. And folks that do this end up in tremendous turmoil for the most part. I think the suicide rate amongst amongst people that make that choice is something like 10 times higher than, than the rest of society. A person that identifies with how they feel rather than the truth is ten times more likely to take their own life than someone who identifies with the truth of who they are. And that's tragic. Here's where I think it applies to you and I. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday evening. We are, I as Christians, we are identified with Christ. That is the reality. But sometimes we follow our feelings wherever they might lead us, even though our identity, the truth of our identity is in Christ. And when we follow our feelings and don't stick with the truth of our identity, we end up Wrestling against the fabric of truth or wrestling against the fabric of reality. This is why there's no one more miserable than a Christian who is living like the world. They're wrestling against the truth of who they actually are. Just as if, just in, this, in a similar way to people that are maybe born male feel like they're female and they wrestle with that identity and it makes them miserable. Folks, if you are identified with Christ, live the truth of your identity so that you are not wrestling against the reality of who you are. As Moses was living as an Egyptian, obviously his identity was railing against who he was. And finally, it came to a breaking point. He saw, notice what the passage says, one of his brethren. It doesn't say he saw a Hebrew. He saw one of his brethren. And it provoked him. He had wrestled against how he felt long enough and had submitted to the truth of the matter. And we need to do the same as Christians. Moses knew that his choice meant he would suffer affliction rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Sin does have its pleasures. Bible says so there in Hebrews. But Moses, as we ought to as well, Moses properly saw them as passing. Even if they should last our entire earthly life, they are passing. They will end they will leave you empty so at the end of verse 15 there it says that once pharaoh heard what moses had done he sought to kill him he saw i think moses as maybe a rival to his position and this gave him the excuse to do away with him found finally found something against moses we're going to put him to death That'll take care of any claim he might have to my position. Moses' persecution put him in the highest company. It put him in the company of Jesus, who suffered to set men free. In many ways, Moses is a type of Christ. Think about this. As a prince... He set his high position aside to come to his own people. Those people rejected him saying, who made you a ruler over us? Being raised in the royal palace, he spoke a language that his people could not understand easily. (coughs) Exodus chapter 4 verse 10. I think that may come up. Then Moses said to the Lord, remember Moses had this encounter with God in the burning bush. O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, this could be interpreted in a lot of way, but it really makes sense to me to think, here's Moses being raised in an Egyptian court. What would his first language have been? Egyptian. Why would he have had any reason to pursue learning the language of the slave people? There wouldn't have been a whole lot in those early years. Hebrew, if he spoke it, he obviously spoke it to some degree, would have been a second language for him, a difficulty. And so he says to God, you're sending me to the Hebrew people? When I try to speak to them, I don't even speak the words very well. That's kind of how I see it. As we're going, as we're looked at in Sunday school this morning, Jesus spoke to the people in parables, and they had a tough time understanding him. And I think this may be a picture of, of what Moses was saying here. And as an, this is totally as an aside. If you want to tune me out for the next 60 seconds, tune me out. Go over to the FM station. I'll speak in the AM station, and, and I'll, I'll warn you when, when it's time to come back in in about 60 seconds. So just as an aside, I challenge you to read Exodus 4 and the surrounding chapters, but particularly Exodus chapter 4, thinking about whether Moses could be a type of Christ and see for yourself. Along with this passage as I was studying, I looked at some Jewish rabbinic literature regarding the relationship between Moses and Aaron. And he said, I can list three main differences between Moses and Aaron. So, as you're reading Exodus 4, think of these things. Number one, Moses chastises, Aaron comforts. Number two, Moses walks ahead of the people, Aaron walks with the people. And number three, Moses speaks and Aaron listens. So, think about those things. I thought that was interesting from Jewish rabbinic literature. Okay, you can tune me, you can tune me back in now. Okay, those 60 seconds are over. You tune back to AM station. Moses' mission given to him by God was to lead his people out of bondage into a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ as greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Can you imagine the courage of Moses to embrace in his heart that it was more precious to him to be persecuted for the sake of Christ than to live in luxury. I have, a, I have trouble wrapping my head around that. And we might say, why? Why would he say the reproach of Christ is greater riches to me than the riches in Egypt? Because it was for the sake of Christ. It was for the sake of Christ. Moses looked to the reward. Some commentators talk about the reward being a heavenly city or the afterlife or whatever. I actually think looking at this passage, the reward is God himself today. That's your reward as a believer. It's not, okay, I've... I believe in Christ, now I have a bit of life to live, however long that is, and then my reward is heaven. Now, I think heaven is part of your reward. Your reward is Christ today. Moses' natural eyes could see the the danger from Pharaoh. Yet his eye of faith could see him who is invisible. He understood that God was greater than an angry Pharaoh. I can't emphasize this point enough. However big the difficulty before the person of faith, God is bigger. Your problem doesn't intimidate God at all. The final thing that it mentions about the life of Moses is that by faith he instituted the Passover. I don't know about you again, but I think for these people of Israel listening to Moses, I think it took faith to believe that the blood of a lamb would save a household from the angel of death. Sometimes in our minds we think, well, the Hebrew people were a people that whose whole life was centered around sacrifice, you know, the tabernacle and all of the slaying of animals, and we can easily forget that was after this. This was new. These people had been living in slavery for a long time. The idea of sacrifice, although there in seed form, was not as prominent in their lives as it was to become as they were taken out of the land and so for Moses to come along and say look if you want your firstborn to live you're going to have to take a lamb and he describes exactly all the details you're going to have to take the blood of that slain lamb and then you're going to have to put it on the door around the door of your home and then you will be safe. I honestly believe it must have taken tremendous faith for each family to say, yeah, I think I'll try that. I think I'll see what happens. I'm going to do what God asked me to do. On Sunday evenings, we've been studying the atonement of Christ. And we are working hard at understanding what it was that took place at the cross That provided salvation. But most if not all of the people that trust Christ as Savior don't know all the details about what God was doing at the cross. But by faith these people embrace the truth of Christ and his atoning sacrifice because God says that those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Just as the people that were putting the blood on the doorposts of their home, they didn't understand the details. Why a lamb? Why the blood? Why does it have to be a lamb without spot? Why does it have to be a certain age? They didn't understand any of that. God said, look, this is the way I'm going to provide salvation. And they said, God, we trust you will do it. We are edified by the understanding, but we are saved by faith. We are edified by the understanding, but we are saved by trusting Christ. The last two verses that we looked at in Hebrews talk about the Israelites, so we'll touch on those verses here. I think that the Israelites crossing the Red Sea took faith. Have you ever taken the time to imagine what it must have been like for the children of Israel to pass through the Red Sea? I have. I've imagined the water standing up in these huge piles on either side of them. And, well, my imagination maybe gets carried away. But maybe they looked as they're walking through and they could see fish swimming around like, like us looking in an aquarium. And these fish are going, what's going on? Like this is odd. And maybe these fish even swam through that swam through that barrier and flopped on the ground in front of them. who knows? We we don't know. The Bible doesn't give its details, other than the water stood as a wall on their right hand and their on their left hand. It must have been a marvel to walk through. I think it took a tremendous amount of courage to walk through that one-of-a-kind corridor that God created in the Red Sea. Now think of this. I think the Egyptians had every bit as much courage as the Israelites to go in there after them. They're looking at the same thing the Israelites were looking at. Water doesn't do this. If water all of a sudden starts to do what it always does, and we're way out there, we're in big trouble. So I think it took tremendous courage for the Egyptians to enter after the Israelites. But they had no idea how this miraculous pathway was upheld. In Exodus chapter 14, verses 24 And 25, we'll read it. It says that the Egyptians finally figured out that the Lord fought for Israel against them. Let's read that. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. Yeah, I would say. (laughs) And the Egyptians said, let us flee. From the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. They did not trust the Lord. They had no faith because they didn't know the one who was holding up the walls on either side. It may have taken more courage for them to enter, but it took at least as much. So the Egyptians here, they finally figure out that the Lord is the one fighting for Israel. And they say, do you know what? I think we should turn back. And I think that was probably the smartest thing they did that whole day. Didn't last long. They had no faith. They entered the Red Sea with tremendous courage and no faith. And by the time they realized what God was capable of, it was too late. What a picture of today's society. By the time many people figure out what God in heaven is capable of, it's too late. And they died by the thousands with no faith. At Jericho, the people of Israel had a daring faith. There was no turning back by the time they got to Jericho. They had gone through the Red Sea. They had gone through the Jordan River. They were locked in. Jericho was the most heavily fortified city in Canaan. As far as historians say, it's probably the most ancient inhabited city in the world. And where does God take them as their first battle? Okay, you slaves that don't really have any good weapons and good things. I'm going to take you against the most difficult foe you will ever face. And that's who you're going to start with. And not only that, in contrast to many of the other victories that Israel had over the Canaanites, this one was all God. It wasn't a strategic military battle that Joshua was given the wisdom to um, perform. It wasn't through some sort of trick that they were trying to uh, manipulate their enemies into believing so that they could take over what they were doing. It wasn't even through sheer strength of numbers that they won this battle. No, it was God and God alone that tore down the walls of Jericho. all the people had to do was go in and take what god had given them by faith this is a bit like our christian lives isn't it that great that greatest of the great battles when we finally have that encounter with christ where we truly understand who he is and what he's done for us and we submit our wills to his and trust him for our salvation The greatest battle that we face, and it's all God. That's God's victory from the beginning to the very end. This initial victory is one that shows us that victory is assured by the hand of God. And then from there, God told the Israelites in various ways trust me at all times and Use the talents and the gifts that I've given you to move through and be obedient to me. But this one's mine. This one's all mine. You stand back and you watch. At Jericho, the people of Israel had an obedient faith. They did not, again, fully understand what God was doing, yet they obeyed nonetheless. They followed their new commander, Joshua, which is the Hebrew form of the Greek name, Jesus. This man that was appointed by Moses and by God, whose name meant, the Lord is my salvation. And Joshua told them exactly what they needed to do, and they obeyed. I'm not much of a soldier, but it doesn't seem to me that, okay, today we're going to march around the walls of the city once and then go back to our tents, is really a strategic way of going about defeating an enemy. That's what God said, so that's what I'm going to do. At Jericho, the people of Israel had a patient faith. So they marched, they were, they were told by Joshua, march around the walls once today. Out they went, they marched around the walls once. Nothing happens. They get up the next morning, march around the walls again. So they did, nothing happens. They get up on day three, march around the walls again and again and again, and nothing is happening. But look, they did it, they obeyed. They had a patient faith. They kept marching as God commanded. And finally at Jericho, the people of Israel had an anticipating faith. They knew God would act on the seventh day when they shouted. Seven, by the way, in Hebrew literature, is considered a perfect number to the Hebrew people. It is a number of completion. When the days are completed, the trumpet of the Lord will sound and our victory will be completed. With a shout on our lips, we will know that the days of dealing with loneliness and sin and death and pain and disease and heartache have come to an end through the victory of our commander, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.